Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Wednesday, December the 12th, 2018. In this week's podcast, we're discussing an article looking very interestingly at a sort of social experiment, really, comparing alcohol concentrations in the blood and driving limits for Scotland compared with England and Wales. More of that in a moment, but let's first of all hear from our guest interviewee. Hello. Hi there, Richard. My name's Jim Lucy and I'm a professor of medical statistics I work at the Institute of Health and Wellbeing at the University of Glasgow. Thanks very much for joining us. As I've just alluded to, your paper that we're going to discuss, just a a social question first before we go into the details of the paper. I get the impression that drink driving is much more a no-no than it was sort of 10, 20 years ago. Would you agree with that just as a starter? Oh, absolutely. It's become increasingly socially unacceptable over recent times and therefore it's become less prevalent. Your study, let's jump to the bottom line first. This study, based on research in Scotland, shows that how a change in public policy four years ago, December 2014, whereby the blood concentration levels, safe limits were were basically halved, has not resulted in a concomitant reduction in road traffic accidents. Is that the bottom line? Yes, that's that's right. And because this policy change occurred in Scotland, as you say, uh, but not in England and Wales, this uh, this allowed us an opportunity to, to conduct a so-called a natural experiment which uh, allowed us to, to answer our research questions. Let's go back to some context here and, and look more broadly because obviously this topic that we're discussing is very much an, of international concern, not obviously just to do with Scotland and England and Wales. So let's start off with some epidemiology. Just paint a picture of, of the ep- epidemiology of road traffic accidents and how it relates to alcohol policy globally. Well, unfortunately, road traffic accidents remain a major public health problem and approximately... Uh, 1.25 million people die each year because of them. What's more, we see very large differences across the world. To illustrate this, even though low and middle income countries have just over half of the world's vehicles, 90% of all RTA deaths occur in these countries. A further point to make is that worldwide, RTA injuries are, are the leading cause of death for children and young adults. Indeed, and if you look specifically now focusing back at the United Kingdom, if you look at the epidemiology, it's actually interesting, isn't it? If you look at the statistics of road traffic accidents data over the past four decades, there's been an enormous reduction, hasn't there? Can you sort of clarify that in numbers and, 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 and offer explanations as to, as to why that is? Yes, absolutely. So blood alcohol concentration, or, or back, as you say, Well, in the UK, prior to this change in legislation in Scotland, there was a consistent level across the UK. And in the paper, we've written this as uh, 0.08 grams per deciliter, uh, where a deciliter is one-tenth of a litre. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to refer to that as 80 milligrams per deciliter. And then what happened on 5th of December 2014 was that legislation changed in Scotland. The law made it illegal to uh, drive with a back above 50 milligrams per deciliter. In terms of a little sort of historical perspective, Norway was the first country to make it an offence to drive with a a back above a certain limit. Since then, other countries across Europe, uh, North America, Japan, Australasia and others have all followed suit, with some countries going on to further lower the limit from that initially set. I think it's also fair to say that when these interventions have been evaluated, improvements in RTA outcomes are usually observed. What's more, though, uh, the research in this area 
shows that to increase the chances of the intervention working intended, the public need to know about the back limits or the change in back limits. They need to believe there's a good chance of being caught if they ignore the law. And police enforcement needs to be visible and at an appropriate level. One way of enforcing a back limit, and actually uh, evidence suggests is a highly effective intervention in its own right, is random breath testing. Many thanks for that. We'll come back to some of those issues in a moment. But I think it's important just, without going into too much detail, just paint a picture of your study, the, how you got your research together here. And I like the way you refer to it as a natural experiment. The aim of our study was to evaluate whether lowering the permitted back when driving from 80 milligrams per deciliter to 50 milligrams per deciliter in Scotland had an effect on the rate of RTAs and also population level alcohol consumption. Now the way we measured alcohol consumption was through off-trade sales. These are for example in supermarkets and convenience stores and consumption was also measured through on-trade sales, so for example bars and restaurants. We had weekly data points on RTAs and alcohol consumption for a four-year period going from January 2013 to December 2016. This gave us two years worth of data before and after the back limit changed in Scotland in December 2014. As you say, this is a so-called natural experiment and the reason for that is that as well as having this data for Scotland, concurrently we had the same data for Scotland's neighbouring countries in England and Wales. Although it's not a randomised design, such a design allows that any sort of temporal confounding factors to have a better chance of being balanced out between the intervention and control groups. More of an ideal reference population than a pure control group as it wasn't randomised. Yes. Turning to, to the results of our study, we found that lowering the back limit for drivers in Scotland did not decrease the rate of RTAs in the first two years after the legislation change. And our findings for total, uh, serious or fatal, and single vehicle nighttime RTAs were unexpected uh, given the previous evidence in this research area. We found no evidence of an effect of this intervention on off-trade alcohol sales, and these sales account for a large proportion of alcohol consumption in Scotland. However, uh, we did observe a small reduction of less than 1% in on-trade alcohol sales. What do we think about these results in terms of an explanation or explanations? Are we looking very much at the societal aspects here, do you think? Or could there be a physiological reasons to do with the alcohol concentration relating to performance and judgment when driving? What are your thoughts on the explanations here? Well, in my view, uh, the, the explanation of these findings is much more likely to be societal than physiological. There is strong existing evidence that driving under the influence of alcohol is a risk factor for RTAs. And it is also clear that the higher the blood alcohol concentration, the higher the risk of having a RTA becomes. Turning to a societal explanation, on the other hand, uh, the previous literature tells us that the most plausible explanation here of no intervention effect on the RTA outcome is that the change in, in back limit legislation was insufficiently enforced or publicized or both. And indeed, our research has found that whilst there was substantial initial Scottish government investment in materials and campaigns to build public awareness 
of the limit change. Unfortunately, that was not maintained in 2015 and 2016. Now, a parallel qualitative evaluation led by the University of Stirling, of which I'm also a, a collaborator, is investigating this further. So as well as looking at enforcement, public awareness and impact on businesses has been researched. Another possible explanation is that if the majority of drink driving RTAs are caused by people who continue to ignore the law under the new legislation and or it may be that drink driving RTAs that were caused by people who used to drink drive between the limits 50 to 80 milligrams per deciliter under the old legislation, but now obey the new legislation, only represent a small fraction of all RTAs. Thank you very much. There are so many potential you know, speculation reasons, aren't there, that one can think of to do with urban density, the amount of cars on the road, policing, enforcement, public <coughs> awareness. I know, for example, in France, where I've been recently, drivers now have something called an etilo test, where they actually have to be able to do a, do a breath test in your own car, as well as having measures in pubs and clubs to actually measure the alcohol in, in your breath. <laughs> there are so many examples, aren't there, of public policy measures, but still it's, it's, it's very difficult to come up with conclusive explanations isn't it? It is and I, I think that's where the, the, the qualitative research would come in. Yeah like you I, when I was travelling in France recently um, yes it's, it's the law to carry a, a breathalyzer I want, just want to pick up on one point you made there when you said sort of traffic uh, density. One important thing to stress is that uh, we did look at uh, rates of RTAs here in our, in our uh, analyses because we, we actually measured traffic flow from automatic traffic counters which are broadly representative and dotted around all around the, the, the network in, in Great Britain. We did kind of uh, account for that. Account for like. that. You did balance for that as much as possible. No, good point. Final question, uh, please, Jim. I mean, the obvious question, really. I mean, where next in terms of research, your own research in this area? Can you run this study for a longer period of time to see longitudinally if there's a benefit? What other priorities are there out there for research? And obviously coming out of that research, hopefully will be informed public policy. In terms of a longer follow-up period, we, we certainly could do that. My personal view there is that I think it's unlikely, unless something changes around enforcement, that we just by analysing, say, three or four years worth of data rather than two years post-change would see any different results. I think ultimately we, we do await new evidence from, from countries, jurisdictions that investigate the same intervention as the one we studied, but where appropriate enforcement levels were achieved. However, I think in the meantime, high quality research is needed into whether previous change in, in back legislation effects from other, from other countries or jurisdictions are associated with the level of enforcement that took place. That, that could be very valuable research. It would also be worthwhile coming back to Scotland to see if any geographical variations in the intervention effect exist. We did explore differences in effect across socioeconomic deprivation groups of drivers and found no evidence of such differences, but we did not explore whether geographical variations exist. It'd be interesting to look at that to see whether in certain regions of Scotland there was evidence of an intervention effect on RTAs, especially if that could be linked evidence of more enforcement in that region. There's also a need for investigations into how the public interpreted and acted upon the change in, le in legislation. This will be important for improving our understanding of the null finding uh, for RTAs 
and for shaping of recommendations for public health policymakers. And the parallel qualitative evaluation that I mentioned earlier will provide valuable insight into these issues when it reports next year. Thanks very much for that, Jim. And actually, some of the things you've just said there give me a nice lead into the accompanying uh, comment to your article. Etienne Blais at the University of Montreal, also Pierre Maurice at the Quebec National Institute for Public Health, both in Canada, obviously. The gist of their comment is, just as you've been saying, it's not so much, we don't need to know what works, we, we need to understand why things work and public engagement and all the things you've just discussed are crucial because otherwise just for you taking elements on their own in isolation like blood alcohol concentration it's not sufficient there's a bigger picture at play here you would echo that wouldn't you i think i would retrospect is a wonderful thing i fully expected to not see null effects here i did expect to see a reduction in road traffic accident rates especially the more serious sort of fatal accidents or the the, the, the nighttime accidents but when you go back and, and look at what actually the intervention entailed, then you can start to think about plausible reasons and, and, and think, well, that also perhaps random breath testing has, has a part to play here. And also the enforcement, talking to the public to see how they interpreted this change would be, would be really interesting. And that's what the qualitative research is doing to see whether they, they, uh, they change their behavior. Fascinating subject. Good to discuss it with you. James Lucy at the University of Glasgow. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thanks, Richard.